This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Micro. I'm Drew Hawkins, and this episode is part of an interview series for Miami Book Fair, where members of Team Micro, that's myself, Dylan Evers, Maymay Kaufman, and Kirsten Renault, interview authors appearing at the fair about their work. For more information about their programming and to check out the incredible roster of authors appearing this year, visit MiamiBookFair.com. And be sure to follow them at Miami Book Fair and hashtag Miami Book Fair 2022 for more updates. Now, back to the show. Welcome to Micro. I'm Maymay Kaufman, and today I'm speaking with author Antoine Wilson. We'll be talking about his latest novel, Mouth to Mouth, out from Avid Reader Press earlier this year. To start the show, we've asked him to select and read a passage from the book. So here's Antoine Wilson reading from mouth to mouth. I've I've chosen to read from the beginning of the book, which is sort of like making making the uh, a non choice. But uh, I think it's perfect for this book, though. Oh, good. Well, yeah. then, yeah. And anybody who's listening, if you get the book, you can just start on page two instead. <laughs> um, I uh, I sat at the gate at JFK, having red-eyed my way from Los Angeles, exhausted, minding my own business, reflecting on what I'd seen the night before, shortly after takeoff, shortly before sleep. Something I'd never seen before from an airplane. I'd been on the left side of the plane and we'd gone south over the ocean, accident of fate, affording me a panoramic view of the city at night. Amber streetlights dotting neighborhoods, red stripe, white stripe garlands of freeway traffic, mysterious black gaps of waterways and parkland. Then a small burst of light, not at ground level, but above it. Another burst of light, streaks opening like a flower in time lapse. A fireworks show. I watched the little explosions until we penetrated the cloud layer. It wasn't a holiday. I was thinking about how a site that might consume our attention completely on the ground could, from another perspective, barely register as a blip on an enormous field when I heard a name over the PA. Jeff Cook, the agent said, please check in at the counter for gate 11. A common enough name, but it piqued my attention. I had known a Jeff Cook once at UCLA almost 20 years earlier. Looking up, I saw a handsome man in his 40s striding toward the counter. He was dressed in a sharp blue suit, no tie, glasses with transparent lucite frames, expensive leather loafers. He said his name to the gate agent and slid his boarding pass and identification across the counter. While she clicked away at the noisy keyboard, 
he leaned slightly on the handle of his fancy, hard-shelled rollerboard suitcase. From where I sat near the gate, I could examine this Jeff Cook closely in profile. I'd all but determined that he wasn't the Jeff Cook I'd known and was going to turn my attention elsewhere when he looked in my direction. I knew those high, broad cheekbones and that penetrating gaze. It was he. But Jeff had had famously long, dark flowing hair, not this cropped salt and pepper business. Plus, he'd put on weight, become more solid in the way so many of us did after college, continuing to grow into manhood long after we thought we'd arrived. We hadn't been friends exactly, barely acquaintances, but Jeff was one of those minor players from the past who claimed for himself an outsized role in my memories. During my freshman year, I experienced a series of encounters, if they could even be called that, in various locations on and off campus with a fellow student who had, for some reason or another, caught my attention. With his cascading hair and distinctive features, he was hard to miss, a sort of thrift, thrift store Adonis. And he carried himself with the quiet confidence of an upperclassman. We didn't cross paths so much as he would just pop up from time to time at a table in the corner of a coffee shop wandering around a protest for the first Gulf War, or, most randomly, lit up by my car's reverse lights as I backed out of a friend's driveway one night. Every sighting of this mystery man yielded a frisson, as if he were my guardian angel keeping tabs on me, followed by a pang of anxiety at the thought that I might never see him again. I'll stop there. Ah, oh, thank he's, you so he's much. He's seen him again. Um, so I'm really happy that you read the beginning because um, my first question is about how at first this novel appears very simple. Two people having a conversation in an airport lounge. Yeah. But it soon becomes clear that it's deceptively simple. The narrative form really pulls you in and gets more and more complicated. Um, I'm curious, what was the inception behind it? Did you start with two characters talking and discover the story as you went or the other way around? You had Jeff's story and then put it in a frame. Uh, it's the other way around, you know, is the short answer. Uh, the longer answer is um, I, I was messing around with the idea of someone saving somebody's life in, in a, a story form. Um, based on an experience that I'd had, sort of random experience, like in the in the 90s, where I um, stopped somebody from inadvertently walking in front of a train. And he oh. was like, oh, my God, you saved my life. I'm going to buy you a big steak dinner. And then the train went by and uh, he kept walking. So I never got my steak dinner. <laughs> my, fr my, my friends made fun of me for years. But so I, I, I had this idea and I moved it to to a water situation it was a pool first then the ocean and um i was interested in this relationship between somebody who's saved and like uh the person who saves them and what they might owe each other so mm -hmm. i tried to write the steak dinner um story which never quite worked it wasn't it was a fun anecdote but not a good idea for a story that turned into um jeff pulling somebody out of the ocean basically and it was a first person draft and it was probably one and a half times what the book is. Uh, and it never even quite got to the end. I kept abandoning mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I I wasn't sure where it was going to go. And I, I was working on something else at the same time. And so I would abandon one for the other, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I reread Austerlitz by W.G. Sebald. And he has uh, an unnamed narrator uh, 
sort of at the at the center of that book t- telling the story of Jacques Austerlitz and um so I thought what you know maybe I should try that and the, this book has nothing to do with Austerlitz like it's not even in, sort of in the same wheelhouse but I I thought that that kind of framing might help me click in with the stuff that wasn't working in the previous draft and it did it was it's sort of like was like got over you know, a big, I wish I could say it was all smooth sailing from there, but you know, it's sort of like hiking in, um, in the mountains or in the foothills. You're like, okay, I'm just going to get up to that peak. And then you get to that peak and see another peak, but yeah. like I got over a big peak, but I still had more peaks. Wow. It definitely worked. I, I loved the frame setting of this, um, and our unnamed narrator, um, narrator now. Okay. I don't know if you can answer this without spoilers, so mm, okay. maybe I can just be told this and Drew can edit it out, but I have to know. Um, did you always have that twist at the end in mind the entire time? Or was that a discovery that you made? Uh, total discovery. I, I yeah, nice. I tend to not write with like a, a an end in mind when I start. Cool. Because, I mean, usually if there's a problem with the ending that you arrive at and you like your ending, the problem is the beginning, you know, it's sort of like you didn't know enough about the story at the beginning to be able to set up the ending. So um, I did finally settle on a kind of shape uh, for the book as I I was getting toward the end of maybe what I'd call the, the, the final, no, the first draft, the final first draft, Um, (laughs) you know, I, yeah, it's hard to uh, number drafts when your process is a complete, shit show uh of course. <laughs> yeah uh anyway i i had a shape for it and it, it was a shape that ended with the penultimate chapter as the book stands and then i okay. and then i was sitting there literally had finished it and i was like huh like it literally just struck me like what what if i and i just oh, pretty much verbatim just boop that last chapter came out oh then I'm so happy about that <laughs> yeah well, then it's I mean, I think we can say without spoilers that it, it is uh, a last chapter that maybe shines a light back through the book that makes things look a little different. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so what I had to do when I sort of came to the sort of realization that that, that could be the ending um, and gave myself permission to drop the mic, so to speak, at the ending, I had to go back and make sure that that was that when you did shine that light back through the novel, that it all that that it revealed something other than just sort of a hey, tricky, you know, yeah, reversal. Yeah, it it didn't feel like a gotcha at all. Right. I mean, I was absolutely loving the book page by page, but for me, that last line, the last couple lines, whatever it is, last few sentences, yeah. that made it for me. <laughs> I mean, it was more than a mic drop. It was to me, it was like a firework and my brain just blew up a little bit. (laughs) Oh, good. Fireworks Um, seen from the ground. Yes, exactly. Look at that. I'm accidentally quoting you. Um, Okay. So you talked about saving a person's life um, that you actually did. And of course, it's a huge part of this novel. Um, It's a big topic in the book. And I was really fascinated by the way Jeff, our lifesaver, um, becomes consumed with morality was the man he saved worthy of being saved? And in turn, what does that say about himself, Jeff, if the man was or wasn't? And it got me thinking that the whole book really has a full cast of morally gray characters. So I was curious if that was something you were exploring with intention or it came out of the creative process. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't sit down and sort of have in my notebook, like, 
morally gray characters. I did, <laughs> I you know, I did at one point sort of think, well, what if you pull, you know, what if you save somebody's life and they turn out to be an asshole, right? Yeah. That I had from the previous Jeff thing, and but he he wasn't an art dealer. It was a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the more I got into the art thing, there's there are a lot of I don't know, moral ambiguities in that, in the art world that I find interesting, especially because like I worked uh, for a fine art and rare book appraiser in Beverly Hills in the late nineties and early two thousands. So, and I walked into that world sort of Jeff, like, like I had Mm no art history degree or anything like that. And when I came in to that world, I learned a lot about contemporary art and modern art that I hadn't known before so that I could go on vacation to France and go to the Pompidou and be like, okay, there it is. There's an Agnes Martin and a Clifford Still and a Franz Klein or whatever, right? Yeah. But I also, because of the way I learned about these things, I could also tell you what they should have been insured for, right? Like I had, everything had a price tag on it. And I felt really ambivalent about that um, uh, because I really, I think I did come to appreciate the art on its own terms, but also uh, with that sort of commercial, uh, aspect to it so i don't know that doesn't really answer your question about no it does because there's a a lot of moral ambiguity and then jeff uh, jeff starts off very yeah very clean but he also i mean part of what's happening in the book and part of the reason why uh there is a frame story is i wanted jeff's like the telling of the story itself to be on stage Mm -hmm. uh you know what i mean as opposed to just directly to the reader because it's like shining a light on on the way that that the fact that Jeff is telling this story um, and he it's, I'm not sure. Sometimes I feel like he's, it's the story that he does tell himself. And sometimes it might just be the story that he's bending to tell the narrator. But in any case, he likes to see himself in the cleanest light possible, you know, that he he arrived at where he is without any ambition or darkness. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think all of us, would like to think that we've arrived where we are without, you know, having, having had a dark side or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I read, um, I can't remember where, but an, an interview just gave um, that you were talking about the performative nature of a confession, that there's always some type of performance involved in the act of confession. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every confession is also a performance. Yeah. Right. Well- But the funny thing about that interview that you just read is that Ben, who interviewed me, quoted that from a different interview. And when he quoted that at me, I was like, what? I really said that? (laughs) I'm getting very meta with this quote now. (laughs) Right. It's like three layers. It's like, oh, it's Inception. Yes. My favorite movie. Um, Okay. Um, Who do you think was more changed by the end of the book? Jeff for having confessed a secret or our narrator for having received it. Mm. Mm. There may not be an answer to this. This yeah. is I, like last minute wrote this down. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I think, I mean, I feel like it's the narrator um, because to a great extent, Jeff has built this kind of fortress out of words or a sandcastle. And, um, and he walks away at the end of the book or the previous chapter, the penultimate chapter, feeling pretty good about oh. what he's what he's said. So nothing's yeah, changed for him other than like, plane. yeah, his own sense of self 
as he would like to see it is sure has been shored up i mm -hmm. think from his perspective the bad guy gets away yeah yeah and, not and, not altered by his confession yeah more shored up yeah. by it absolutely okay so the title of this book i think is ingenious because it works on so many levels mouth to mouth like two people talking but also the physical act of cpr um can you tell us why you went with this title and what it means to you yeah well so i i wish i was one of those writers who started with the title because i there's always a difficult period at the end like my current draft of what i'm working on now literally the file is called still no title and, <laughs> and i just like i want to have a title from the beginning because then I, I know how hard it is to land on one at the end because you have to sort of make these, yeah. I do at least, I have to make these lists and the lists are super left brainy. You know, they're like logical. It's mm -hmm. like maybe this image, maybe this line from the book or whatever. And and usually it's a lot of lists. And then in the shower, the real title arrives, you know? And um, I wish I could tell you when this one arrived, but it was not on a list. It, it just popped into my head. And yeah, it has to do with obviously the life-saving mouth to mouth, but also that sort of, um, the, the, the two of them having that conversation, things mm -hmm. being, uh, you know, transmitted. And to some degree, I like to think of, um, did you ever see a movie called the hidden with Kyle McLaughlin? Sounds very it, familiar. Yeah. I don't Maybe it was in the early nineties or something like that, but it's this movie where basically there's this hidden alien creature that takes up a host, a human host. And then, you know, it loves like loud music and wrecking cars and stuff like that. And then in the hospital, it like comes out and goes like into the next host. And I feel like uh, some of Francis's darkness and ambition and things are like the hidden, you know, transmitting themselves Ooh. into, into Jeff, but that's kind of like a. Absolutely. I see that. Yeah. 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 So there's mouth. That's the mouth to mouth. I see <laughs> in the weird, the dream world of the book. Well, I love all of that because um, before I knew anything about the book and I just read the title, I assumed it was going to be something more like sexual. Nice. Like mouth to mouth or like romantic. So I. That's what pops up on Twitter when I, if I try to, I, I, I have tried to search like mouth to mouth on Twitter. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of. <laughs> lot of life terrifying stuff. as it sounds? It's just Twitter. I didn't know what was on Twitter I, I've been on Twitter for a long time, but I had never just searched um, some random terms. And and occasionally, like, I, for some reason, I'll be like, oh, looking for something. And, you know, you'll search for the wrong thing by mistake. And it's just like, there's a lot of porn on Twitter. There's like straight up autoplay yes. video porn. I was like, I like learned this last week. My husband right. informed me and I was like, no, that can't be right. It's Twitter. There's got to be rules and laws. Yeah. And he's like, no, baby. No, it's the Wild Instagram. West. <laughs> right. But I mean, the cool thing about Twitter is, you know, you create your own community, right? And so um, as long as you don't go on that sort of that bar that's like what's trending and then end up in like, you know, crazy political battles or whatever's yeah. the worst, the worst of the headline grabbing stuff. Um, I wish there was a way to get that off the screen, but I've not forgotten. Yeah. That. yeah. Um, and it used, to, I feel like it used to be better, like literary Twitter used to be better because it that sort of political Twitter didn't quite exist yet in mm -hmm. the same way. And so literary Twitter was actually a way to people, you know, I think Jonathan Franzen was making fun of it 
you know, because it's like, how can you say anything in 140 words or whatever? And it's like, Brejo, you can Watch actually, you can post a link to an essay that somebody wrote. And like, now everybody's going to talk about it and read it instead of it just sort of existing unread on some corner of the internet. Yeah. So. It's the writer's it, group chat. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Basically. Right. It's a massive group chat, but it feels like those days are kind of gone. I don't know. Yeah. You get more pockets of it here and there, but it's right. a big scary ocean. Yeah. Um, and just so... don't search. <laughs> yeah. Don't search mouth to mouth on Twitter. Y'all just go right to Antoine's Twitter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just go to his page. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um. All right. So big congratulations on mouth to Thank mouth you. getting adapted to the screen. Um, mm, oh yeah i saw that on your instagram and i was like yes this is gonna yeah. be so good um what are you most looking forward to about seeing your book translated into a different medium of storytelling and maybe what are you the most nervous about hmm. i'm most nervous about the writing of course, of course. um and uh, what am i most looking forward to the acting. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't. Um, my wife is a television writer, so I oh, nice. have existed in this, you know, adjacent to this world for many, many years. And um, so I would say I don't dream on it too much uh, in terms of hoping that things will actually happen until, yeah. you know, the not even until the cameras are rolling, like until basically it would be like on air um yeah that, that's when i would be start thinking about it i think that's very smart i think that's very smart yeah i would i would get myself into a little anxious ball of worry thinking about who they're going to cast and oh that's not the right look for chloe you know so, -and -so. yeah well i'm a casting wise i've been asked this question i live in los angeles so people often ask but maybe they ask novelists all the time like who would you cast and um, oh, I've made a vision board for my work in progress. I feel you. <laughs> oh, I see. The thing is, I've never done that. And I'm always tongue tied at this, you know, question, because I feel like I know who I would cast in books that I like to read. Yeah, because that comes to mind. But in creating the characters that I'm writing, they're they're sort of word feeling clusters and they have physical details obviously and attributes and things but yes. i don't picture them um ah. in that same way so I, that's why i never know yeah. who to cast yeah i guess i do it just for to help me with um physical blocking like oh, if yeah. i can think about like you know that this is a tall character right you know and i'm a very short person so i just made my protagonist short but just i'll sort of do a cast so i can think about how they might physically interact in the world yeah but um, more, chances more are work. not high for me getting florence Pugh, so we'll see right but you get a yeah the tall character can bump their head on something and it's yeah. yet another detail that brings that world to uh to life in a reader's head mm -hmm. yeah um so this is something that we're asking everyone this season um on micro but okay. i encourage you to take it as strangely or specifically as you like Okay. Uh, what were you <laughs> what were you reading <laughs> as you wrote mouth to mouth or what music were you listening to or tv or food or your workspace that you were surrounding yourself with for creative sustenance i was reading a lot of javier marias the spanish mm -hmm. writer who just died um mm -hmm. and 
in fact, if you were to go look back at that 75,000 word uh, first draft that got tossed out, what do we call it? Proto first draft. Um, you would see Anne a Lamont lot would call darker. that your shitty first draft. So, yes, you know, that's right. Saint Anne. <laughs> there, I'll take that. Um, yeah, that shitty first draft had more, possibly more echoes of um, Maria's style, not necessarily on a sentence level, but in the way that he handles time. Hmm. And, um, and I think just maybe something that that carried over is he's not afraid to go big with a premise. Um, you know, like uh, tomorrow in the battle, think on me is a novel where a guy's having an affair and then the woman he's having the affair with dies. And he's just like in her room in her house and she's dead. And he's like, okay, what am I going to do now? You know, but it's like these yeah. big, high stakes. Um, yeah, yeah. High stakes and sort of, yeah. Yeah. Pumped up, but no less um, sort of considered thoughtful, interesting, you know, intellectual, literary, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. So Javier Marias, and um, I was on a Patrick Modiano kick and Patrick Modiano probably more informed the other one that I was working on and abandoning back and forth. And that one's truly abandoned, <laughs> I think, I think. But it had, to, it had to exist to get you here. I guess so. That's one way to put it. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I feel like it, maybe it didn't have to exist, but I could have been surfing instead. I could have abandoned this book and just gone surfing. I think I would have ended up in the same place. All right. This question is, yeah, we're good on time, but this question's for my own curiosity because oh, I, yeah. I just have to know. Um, have you always had such a great vocabulary? Because I don't remember, I, I read a lot, not bragging, but I read a lot. And I don't remember the last time I read a book and was stopped in my tracks so many times to look up a great new word. <laughs> huh. So here's the thing about that. It's never come up until this book. Um, really? And in my, maybe because Panorama City was, um, you know, the narrator was illiterate. Like he quoted a lot of people, but um, verbatim, but he was illiterate. So maybe I didn't use that many big words or whatever, but I had no idea I had a big vocabulary, um, honestly. And yeah. it came up in like one of my first book events where some guy said, why do you use all these words? And he showed, he had a list of 30 words. <laughs> he, he had a list of 30 words that he was like, I had to look these up. And he was like a doctor, you know, he wasn't, he was somebody, an, an educated person. And he was just wondering, like, he was kind of challenging me, but he was also wondering like, why use these words instead of other words? So I guess you know, um, I never thought I had a particularly big vocabulary. I always looked at other writers that had the big vocabularies and thought, oh, wow, like David Foster Wallace, you know, or somebody who uses like a serious 50 cent word. And you know, I think, oh, how could I squeeze that into one of my stories? And it would stick out like a sore thumb. You know, it's like, yeah. why did you use it? I call that a high it. calorie word. Yeah. Right, right. You don't want a high calorie word in your egg white omelet. Right. And so, <laughs> right. yeah. And um, so I didn't, I don't know. I, I guess just doing this for a while, you know, yeah. and, and, um, yeah, well, it, it's, they, they stick, was... they stick, you know, like, uh, like lint. <laughs> well, I, I, I really enjoyed learning new words and it also felt fitting for like Jeff's world and his kind of persona and everything. So I was like, oh yeah, this is great for characterization and my own vocabulary. <laughs> Good. As long as the whole carb protein balance, seemed right this 
Everybody, this is a well-balanced meal, this book, well-balanced meal. <laughs> oh, it has been so great to talk to you. Everyone, be sure to stop by and see Antoine Wilson at Miami Book Fair, November 13th through 20th in beautiful Miami, Florida, and pick up a copy of Mouth to Mouth, available now at your favorite bookstore and on Audible. Antoine, thank you so much for stopping by. It's been a great pleasure, Maymay.